Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 58 of Legally Clueless. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I want to say a special welcome to all the newbies. I have seen all the tags from people who have just discovered the podcast and have started listening from like episode one and some who have just discovered the podcast and are listening from episode 57. <laughs> it's all right. Um, I'm the last person who should be calling you out because even when I'm reading books, there are points where I read like the first couple of chapters and I skip to the end, then I come back to the middle. Even with series, I can watch like episode one. Then if I really dig a character, I skip a couple of episodes ahead to see what happens to them. And then I come back to episode two. (laughs) I know it's weird, but yeah. (laughs) Sometimes I lack patience, but either way, welcome to the tribe. I'd also like to send out a big shout out to Everyone who sent in their WhatsApp audio notes of stories that they wanted to share on the podcast, I recorded quite a few of you this past week. And man, it was nice interacting with people who listen to the podcast and have such powerful stories. Oh my word. And if you check out the description of this episode, you will see the way in which you two can share your story on Legally Clueless and you'll get to see the hotline number and yeah, everything you need to do to make sure that your story gets heard. However, I also asked if you could send through music that I can check out, music that you're digging this week, um, because I try and share, now I try and share, <laughs> um, songs that I'm listening to on loop throughout the week with you. So I'll start with mine and then I'll get into one song that was sent in by you. So the song that I'm currently digging is by Nyashinsky. It's called Glory. So he just dropped his new album and there's a single on it called Glory. The music video is already out and it's so awesome. Oh my God. You know, like in my next life, I'm going to be a rapper. Actually, I'm lying because a couple of years ago, I did rap on a song Oh man, I rapped on two songs. Was it two songs? Yeah. The third one I was singing. (laughs) I don't know what was going (laughs) So the first song I recorded was called Faded. Again, I just come out of this like whack-ass relationship. And I was really, I felt I'd wasted time. And I was just like fuck it, I'm going to live my life to the fullest. I've always really loved music. Let's get into studio and record some music. So that first single, the song was written in collaboration between myself, Fena, who's a Kenyan artist, you need to check her out, and Kagwe, who's also a Kenyan artist. Um, check him out as well. And then I performed the song. So it was like my first single. It was a solo project. <laughs> and as the title suggests <laughs> it was all about just getting faded ever let me see if i can because you know i'm not i'm not embarrassed let me see if i can find if i can find the actual song and just like put a snippet in here Ooh. <laughs> oh shit i don't want to open it because then what if and it's on um it's on YouTube. I don't want to open it because what if the comments are like terrible? Hiya! It has 17,000 views. <laughs> I can't. It was in such a long time. I, the first comment is just awful. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm not scrolling down to see anymore. My heart can't take it. But um, what I will do is just play you a snippet. <laughs> Kuna wale wanna shake me legina Kuna wale wanna check my ladies Now my boys want me bakey You can get none of this Toto Sneakers cause I'm running it Also look at me I'm burning it Joto I woke up like this Moto Made it this (laughs) who 
let me do this. <laughs> and I remember the time that um <laughs> that I, I I released this song was I even had like a whole like released party and everything. Anyway, at the time I was like having a thing with this guy who is a DJ. Oh my god. <laughs> That brother hyped me. <laughs> Made me feel like I was like the next Tiva Savage. You guys, I'm crying with laughter right now. He even got the song played in like the Big Brother <laughs> Big Brother Africa house. <laughs> oh my word. Okay. Let's just say <laughs> I was just young and wild, guys. But you know what? I really enjoyed that phase of my life because I said yes to so many things. I said yes to things that I was scared of doing and I did them and I did them like to the best of my <laughs> to the best of my abilities. Back to the music. Hey, 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 hey. Back to the music. So check out Nyashinsky's song, Glory. I really love hip-hop. I love all things rap. I love a good rhyme a good flow i love wit and i think this song just does it it does it for me and the music video is pretty dope as well so glory by nashinsky i'll put the link to the the video in the description box but one of you also sent in a song that i had completely forgotten how much i loved and you said it's a song that really helps you especially when you are having like intense anxiety and i totally understand why this is a song sent in by somebody who prefers to use their blog name and their blog name is that nicked that nickte <laughs> that nickte <laughs> i clearly can't pronounce this but i'll put a link to their blog in the description and the name of the song is i am light it's by india ari also check it out the link is in the description it's it's a very healing song that's it for the music um wow i laughed so hard i feel like i'm wheezing <laughs> i can't believe i laughed so hard at myself man however how are you how are you coping with this new normal i hate calling it normal because the other day i left the house to go for a doctor's appointment so first i was already so nervous <laughs> and i was driving through the westlands area of nairobi you know seeing all the pedestrians with their masks on i passed spaces that were really such a hive of activity like a month ago and now they're basically deserted and it just hit me in that moment i was like what the hell what the hell is this what the hell is happening what? yeah like i was like a bit more conscious of just how much things have changed you know what i mean but i'm also using that tip from wangoi who's a clinical psychologist and she shared tips in episode 54 about mental well-being during this pandemic one of them is acknowledging what you have power over so i'm really like hanging on to that because a lot of what's happening can be a bit suffocating the helplessness eh is is also so overwhelming <sighs> but one of my friends is doing an amazing thing in Madari so his name is Billion i've known Billion like for years since i joined radio in fact he was a music he was a rapper <laughs> Billion I should look for his 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 songs. He grew up in Madari which is a low income area in Nairobi and he then established the Billion Music Family to be able to help young people in Madari use their talents to better themselves so that you reduce the number of young people going into like gangs or crime and I've been to the Billion Music Family center a couple of times hang out with the kids learned how to dance from them and then most recently he expanded the center they're teaching young people and women in madari different skills so during this pandemic obviously we do know that those who rely on daily wages because of the curfew or because of businesses just shutting down altogether they are being affected what i think is so beautiful is he came up with a voucher system where 
families in Madari through his organization can be able to go to different shops in Madari. So they are uplifting small businesses in Madari. So the families go to these shops with these vouchers and they get to redeem food items. This is a more organized way. It reduces crowds gathering during like donations, which of course we know we kind of have to avoid crowds. So I asked him to come on the podcast and just share what he's doing and how you and I can help him and his team. So we started by one providing water when there was no water. Then now the government came through and started providing water to different families. Then we realized that when we were giving water, people were saying that yo chakula. So we went back to the drawing board and see how to support the families again with the food. So the first time we gave food, we partnered with the Wanyama Foundation and we were supposed to give just 200 families food. We took the family, 200 families to a primary school, Kiboro Primary School, and locked the gate. And uh, and it was well organized, but outside the gate there were more than 500 people that were knocking, screaming, shouting, they want the food too. So we saw this system was not working for our community because everybody now is looking for something to eat. So we came up with now with an, another idea of the voucher system. First of all, the voucher system, we work with the community health volunteers and community youth group leaders so what we do the community health volunteers are organized into different villages so we do mapping in in villages we come up with a list then we have uh, an information center at our center in the office that verify the list go through the list call the families to get to understand if where they are from and and everything and even through the verification we've had people sneaking in uh, the names of their relatives who are in Kayole or Uruma so so through the veri- verification we get to make sure that the people who are receiving uh, who are on the list are genuine people from the community. Then after the verification of the list, now we engage the shopkeepers because we also want to promote and support our local economy in Madare. So we want to really support the local shopkeepers. So we engage them and we break down what we want to do with them and the number of people we want to support and how, and we get the cost of the things that we're looking for. And then now after that, we now developed a voucher uh, now we generate a vulture at our center. So the vulture have the details of the families that are supposed to receive the food, uh, the names, plus the shop name, the shop where they're supposed to get the food, and all the, the, the finer details of, of, of the families. So the vouchers, we give them to our community health volunteers, and the, each volunteer is in charge of five families. So we give them the vouchers and then they take to the families and then they guide them to the shops where they're supposed to get the food. So that we are able to control the crowd. Each uh, community health volunteer is in charge of only five families. So they follow up on that and, and, and make sure that those families get the food. So as we pay with M-Pesa directly to the uh, to the shops and then the rest of the process the people just pick the food so we've been doing this through uh mobilization we've been mobilizing our friends we've partnered with seventh memorial park we've partnered with crime siopoa from madare we've partnered with footprints for change which is also based in madare and unite kenya so all of us, the groups, we are playing different roles in mobilization, in accountability, and, and also putting together the report. So every week we do a report, a weekly report on on how many families received the food, on the voucher system, on the amount that we received from who and where. So we do the, con- the distribution every Saturday, so throughout the week, we put together everything. We do a weekly resource mobilization from friends, Madarians in diaspora are contributing, organized groups contributing, and each voucher cost 500 shillings. So basically when the families go to receive foods, stuff, it's, it's valued at 500 shillings uh, and it's for food stuff only. So we have um, a weekly food drive and our pay bill number is uh, 89. 
1300. Account number is 39406. It gets to Madari Weekly Food Drive. We also encourage people who want to donate foodstuffs, maybe dry foodstuff, especially unga, sugar. We've had such groups also. We take, we pick them on their behalf, but we still use the system. We take those foods to those shops and, uh, and we buy some more stuff from the shopkeepers. So we still use the voucher system from the shopkeepers. So we still encourage people who would want to contribute in kind and we account for everything and every donation or contribution that people make. I'm so thankful for the work Billion and his team are doing and the organizations that are supporting him. I will put in the description box the pay bill details, a link to the Mchanga page so that if you're not in Kenya, you're still able to help out. And I will also put a link to Billion's Instagram page in case you want to engage him directly. Okay, I think it's time for us to jump into the 100 African story this week. I'm so excited I finally get to share this one. It is by a storyteller called Silas, who is my friend. He's got such beautiful energy. And this story, he was actually meant to perform it at the Legally Clueless one-year birthday storytelling party. My God, that's a mouthful. Anyway, unfortunately, because of Corona, we couldn't have that party, but I am so happy that instead we recorded it because that means you, regardless of wherever you are in the world, get to hear such a powerful, moving... I really found myself relating to this story on so many levels. So I don't want to give away too much. I want you to hear it directly from Silas. So here we go. 100 African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. My name is Silas Miami. I am... Kenyan, but I live between Nairobi, Cape Town, and Amsterdam. I had been living in South Africa for about five years. Actually, it was four years then, doing a lot of academic stuff and doing a lot of production and filmmaking stuff in Kenya. So it was it was me up and down for quite a bit. So one of the requirements for my master's degree was that I had to do a six-week internship. So I went for the biggest, baddest move I could find. <laughs> And and worked for Moonlighting Commercials in Cape Town, which is essentially one of the biggest servicing um, film servicing companies in South Africa. And I was like, I just want six weeks. Uh, you don't have to pay me. I'm good. Me, I'll come in. I'll do my thing and I'll leave. Suffice us to say, two weeks in, they had offered me a contract, <laughs> a permanent contract. <laughs> and by the time like I was leaving, I was doing research there. So just to kind of give you an idea of what researchers do, we we get a bid. A bid is potentially a potential job from like a client like Toyota, whatever it is. And they give you the specs for what their commercial will look like. And then they ask you for locations and, you know, potential locations, potential cast. So we have to find locations that match the brief and put together a whole presentation about it and like have call references to the locations that we want. We had on a day, I'd go through maybe a thousand houses uh, on websites to like find the kind of house that would match a particular brief. So suffice us to say, I was tired. But by the time I was leaving on that last day, I was the head of research. So I had moved from being an intern to being an assistant to being... And this was maybe four months into, <laughs> into, <laughs> into the job. And I was still teaching at UCT at the same time while trying to finish my master's, while being in production with a bunch of projects, both in Nairobi, and I think I went to Scotland during that period as well. So it was intense, and I was ready to quit. And my boss, my immediate boss, who I really loved, and we're now friends, and we now work in the same, like she runs my company in South Africa, except for where you at, <laughs> had left. So it was me and my intern, and we had bids coming in. So I was ready. In fact, I was, I think the morning of my last day, I was typing in my resignation letter. And then at around lunchtime, one of the beauties of working for people like Moonlighting is they feed you. So I got my lunch, I came to my desk, which is where I usually eat, and I started scrolling through Twitter. And I bumped into a video, and it was John Alanamo. And he was standing outside somewhere. I, could, I, I couldn't quite 
I didn't know where it was, but I heard gunshots and explosions. So I quickly closed the tab. I was like, no, no, I don't know what's going on. Um, and in my head, it looked like a place I recognized. So I went into one of the, you know, everyone has like a friend group, but there are several. So I went to a particular friend group and I typed in, um, has anyone reached Benedette? And slowly everyone just wrote, no, 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 no. And I thought, okay. Nobody has been able to reach her. It's fine. How are your families okay? Whatever is happening, are, are, is everyone fine? Great. And just to kind of give you an idea of who Benedette was, she, she was a member of my chosen family. So I left home when I was really young. I left home when I was 17. Uh, my mother and I just... We're friends now, but back, back in the hizzle, um, we had quite a family. Fine break. It wasn't like a fracture. It was a clean break where we needed to be in different spaces to kind of follow what we believed. And I had to find what family meant for me in and amongst my friends. And that that has kind of been the tradition I've, I've carried all my life. So, which is why I'm extremely passionate about my close friends because to me, they're my family. So Bernadette was a member of my chosen family She's the kind of person I would be heading to the airport. She'd send me a text message to be like, hi, I heard you're coming back to Nairobi. Do you want to grab A, B, and C for me? And I would make the Uber driver turn around to go get it. Like, she's the only person who could get me drunk in Cape Town. (laughs) Even though I'd be rejecting it, she'd shame me into it. And there's this one story I keep on coming back to. So there's a period when I was... Um, finishing my honors degree at UCT where I was teaching, I was tutoring, and I was writing a screenplay in Nairobi. And everything had to be scheduled around my school schedule because while I was teaching, I was also taking classes. And I was also, you know, I'd be marking and I'd be doing my own assignments. And then I'd be like writing stuff in Nairobi. So I'd have on multiple occasions, I'd take my luggage from the house, go to class, teach my 45 minutes or my two-hour um, session, or take my class, leave the class, get into an Uber, straight to the airport. Get to Nairobi. For three or four days, I'm in workshops, back to back to back, and we're writing and we're writing. And then on the like fourth or fifth day, I'd be on a flight back to go to class first, to teach and that requires like PowerPoint presentations. And if you know me, you know that I'm uh, aggressive when it comes to, <laughs> to, doing, <laughs> to doing stuff. I'm super pedantic about wanting a level of excellence that is unhealthy. But uh, this is why we're in therapy <laughs> and we're managing that. So that was the kind of, kind of setup I was in. And it was ongoing for about six months. And it would break me. Uh, one of the failures I have in life is I don't know how to ask for help when I need it. So what I do is I give people hints and then I expect them to divine what I need, which for those of you who are listening is not healthy. Yeah, people are not in your head. They can't uh, know what you're thinking, what you need. You need to be able to communicate those things. But I was not in that position. So what I do is I have an interesting relationship with my social media followers where I tell funny stories and hide my trauma within the stories. So in this particular instance, I wrote about how I wanted JKIA to have a bed for me because I was traveling and I'm tired. And the usual responses came me like, and most of the responses were fine, but you could sense like underneath it, people were wondering why I wasn't more grateful. And I was grateful that all these opportunities were kind of presenting themselves to me. But you can be grateful and tired. The two things can exist at the same time. So I posted something like that on social media and Bernadette immediately texted me first yelling at me for not telling her I was in the country. And then she goes, what are you doing this afternoon? I, I, I'm free. Great. Get into a cab, come to deuce it. Uh, so I did. And she had organized a 90-minute massage for me. When I tell you it was exactly what I needed, it may have even saved my life. I don't know. Like she was that kind of person where she would find the thing that you need. She would sift through the noise to be like, okay, so this is all rubbish. This is what you need. Let's do that. So that's the kind of friend that Bernadette is. She's gangster. Back to John Alanamu's video. I figured that it's now a deuce it. Nobody has been able to reach Bernadette. Um, I don't realize that I'm panicking. (laughs) 
it's happening physically, but <laughs> if you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, no, I'm calm. You know, these things, these things happen. We survive the whatever's. So as I'm talking to myself, I'm walking out. I'm walking through the the department, and I'm going out, and I've stood out where people are smoking. I'm holding my phone, and then I try. I call the first number on my previously. I don't even know who it was. It doesn't go through. I call the second number on my previously. It doesn't like the person doesn't pick up. I call the third one. <laughs> I didn't realize it was my ex. I call the third one. Someone picks up from the other end, and without like waiting to hear, uh, "Hello, what?" I go. Hi, something's happening in Nairobi at a hotel that one of my family members is working at. No one has been able to reach her. I don't need you to tell me to calm down or anything. I just need to vocalize this. I need to be able to tell someone this because it is sitting on my chest and I can't breathe. And I immediately start crying. I'm like, and I couldn't... It almost like, it, in hindsight, it looks like I was having an outer body experience where I was just clowning myself in the sun. I'm like, why are you crying? Why are you? What's happening? So I gather myself. I'm like, okay, great. I'm just going to work through the day, get home in the evening, and then I'll have better a better understanding of what's happening. So I put my head down. I power through the reception. I'm working. And I almost made it to my desk. But a producer um, who needed help with something waves and goes, Silas, can you help me? I turn. I go to her, and she notices that my eyes are red but at that time veneer is on i'm like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what are you yeah so looking for led lights or something i'm like yeah we'll, we'll get them and then she made the mistake of asking are you okay what it's over it's i was i don't know something something in the room but it's fine i'll work through the day i don't i i call myself unreliable an unreliable narrator because memory for me kind of just it gets muddled whenever there's trauma so <laughs> i just remember bits i remember being swung around i remember my intern being told to pack my bag <laughs> i remember being shoved into an uber and instructions being given for me to be sent home. All was calm until I got to the house. And I had a, an amazing housemate I lived with in, for a while. And he was on the couch. The new couch we just bought. Because it moved into this wonderful new house. It was gorgeous. And I opened the door. And again, he sues my face. And goes, what's wrong? Ah, it's over. It's over. I'm crying. I'm wailing like a wounded child. She, he has to come and kind of hold me for me to like stop shivering. And so I sit down, I gather sort of my, th- my thoughts about what's happening, and then electricity goes out for the first time in Cape Town in my entire... And then I realize that it's our building where there's no electricity. I'm just like, what are these things that are happening? And I, I, again, it's a thing of, they were muddled, so I can't remember exactly what was going on, but just remember there wasn't any electricity. I was dragging one of the editors for the New York Times on Twitter the whole the whole afternoon because they'd started posting um, pictures of people slumped over dead as a header. And I was just, I was furious. That was the only accessible emotion of there's helplessness and there's anger, and I chose anger because if I went with the helplessness, I'm not sure I would have survived. So I decided I'm just going to be angry at everyone. I was angry at the electrical people. I was angry at my landlord. I was angry at the people who are, you know, posting stuff on Twitter. I was dragging everyone's mother. This entire time, I'm texting Sonny, who is Bernadette's best friend. And he's at the scene. He was at the scene from the moment it started happening in the afternoon. And I'm trying not to ask him too many questions because I recognize that he is the point of contact for everyone. And we have a brief conversation. It's like, nothing's happening yet. Okay, great. So I chill in my dark house. I get my good candles. You know, the good candles that you buy for, <laughs> they were on sale <laughs> and now they're being used in the house. Wonderful. <laughs> my house smells like Christmas for some reason. And Piet, my housemate, keeps telling me it's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. And then you start getting reports where everyone has been cleared out of Ducet. Everyone, you know, they've gone through all the floors. Um, it seems like the whole siege is over. And then there were reports. People were coming out with reports that they had seen her running. They had seen her helping people. They had, they had seen her out. So there was hope. I decided to take my laptop with 20% battery. 
put on uh, Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and go to bed. And I just waited to be told what happened. It was 1 a.m. I had missed two calls from Sunny, And I, 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 I just sprang up. It wasn't like I was waking up and I just missed two calls from him. And then I saw a message where he said, call me. So I call and he's crying on the phone. He goes, I think his exact words were, they've killed Hajameni. And my response was, are you sure? Because me in my head, see, I discussed it with Piet. See, she's fine. So now what, what are these reports that I'm getting? Um, and he goes, yeah, because I've seen her. And so I immediately tell him to hang the phone up, to go home. So me, I turn into like mothering mode of, okay. So here we are, what do you do? And he was like, okay, just hang the phone up, find, find a way to get home, blah, blah, blah. And he was there with her sister. And then he hung up. And I just remember turning into my pillow and like crying like a wounded animal. I have never felt that kind of pain. And I've lost people. Like at some point I started wondering whether my grief was disenfranchised because I'm like, I've lost people, but I've never felt it like this. And I just cried into the pillow. I cried for like an hour. And then I gathered myself and I went back to work the next day. And the office was in shambles because now they'd heard uh, someone had told them that um, a member of my family essentially um, had passed. And the first thing they did was they booked me a flight home without being prompted, without these people who had, I'd felt like had taken advantage of me and what I could do. Because I'm one of those people who, if you give a job, I will pour blood into it to make sure it, it works out. And I had grown to really resent that space. And here they were. And they said, we need to get you home. And I think that was an interesting buffer for me at the time in South Africa. I think I needed someone to show up. And they did. And my friends and family did. And it was all f relatively settled until I got into the plane to come to Nairobi. And I was shaking like a leaf and the guy who was sitting next to me is just like, I don't know how to help you. I'm like, I don't know how to help myself either. Me, it's just, it is what it is. The hostess was walking by. I was like, do you have a tasker? She gave me four. Um, and so I got to Nairobi. Uh, it was one of those like like afternoon flights that went through Livingston. So I did a like, semi-direct from Cape Town. Livingston to Nairobi. I get here at night, slightly tipsy, very happy to be tipsy. I call an Uber. I get into the Uber. The guy helps me throw my luggage in the, in the boot. Fantastic. I'm coming to stay with a friend. In the middle of our trip, he's... Which, honestly, in hindsight, it was my fault. He was playing gospel music. I should have known not to engage in conversation. That's on me. I fully take responsibility. Anyway, so he asks what I'm doing here, and he asks if I'm religious, and I'm, I'm in my space of... I hadn't... you Because know, you have to code switch when you're in Nairobi. I hadn't code switched back. So I said, no, I'm fine, me, whatever, religion, ni, 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 ni. And then weirdly it circles to why are you here? Why are you back in, in Kenya? I was like, I, I lost a friend in the in the in the Ducet attack. So I've come to to Leha to to think. and then he goes, You know, sometimes, um, was your friend religious? Was your friend a Christian? I'm like, I'm I am like i am do not understand the relevance of the question, but I don't think so. Maybe yes, she was. I don't know. Yeah, because with attacks like those, you know, sometimes God warns you before it happens. So maybe if she, when I tell you I wanted to fly out, that was my welcome back to Nairobi. An Uber driver telling me how my friend was killed because God hadn't warned her to hide. So me, <laughs> Kubler Ross is right about the stages of grief. In trying to understand how to tell this story, I figured, let me, let me work through the different emotions that I had. So it starts with denial. The denial was even before I got to Nairobi, I was like, okay, this isn't happening. Me, I just need to wake up. Yeah. If someone could just like do like a young pinch, just like a wake me, that would be great. And that lasted for quite a while until the conversation with the cab driver. I was like, oh, okay. So this, this bullshit is bullshit and it's happening and it has happened. And then the next is anger. And I stayed there for a really long time. I was angry at many people. I was angry at, of course, the attackers. Me, people who say, oh, I found forgiveness. Me, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting. And when it comes, I will send it back. I don't want it. There's, there's, there's no negotiating that. Me, it's not healthy. That's fine. 
was angry at a lot of things, but what struck me as being weird was I was angry at her. Because when I finally got to Nairobi and I was told the story, and again, unreliable narrator of my own memories and my own trauma. So I could only, I've only heard the story once. I think that's as much as I could stomach of what actually happened. And Benedette was just being Benedette. Benedette was saving lives. Benedette was the most senior member of staff on the day when it started happening. So apparently the attackers came in uh, through the front and they were coming through the... I, I, I'm not quite sure what the, semi, the the details were, but I know that she had figured out a way to get people to go out through the back. And one of the attackers noticed that folks were going out through, through the back. And so she, she was on the phone with the general manager explaining the situation and getting people out through the kitchen when they, they walked in. She was helping her friend up because her friend had fainted. Instead of this stupid woman running, <laughs> um, she turned and she was helping. She was doing the thing that she was doing and that's where apparently they got them. And, and all of them... Uh, So I think part of the reason why it, it hit me as much as it, it did at the time when I, I, I found that first tweet was because I knew who she was and I knew she would do something like that and it cost her her life. So I was very angry at her for a really long time. I like, why did you have to be Superman? Why did you have to be Captain Save? Um... But that's just who she was, and I don't think she would have had it any other way. And there are parts of the story that like keep flashing back. Like, I, Kasani is the one who found her. Um, he he was waiting outside Riverside when the news started break started breaking that it had been finished, like everything was done. And they're like, "Wait, that's that's not true because we don't know where our people are." And he was waiting there with. Uh, if I remember this correctly, with her sister and another friend. And then he just whispered to the friend, I think I'm going to walk down to Chiromo, but don't tell the sister. Just because he he's the pragmatic kind of person who's like, okay, what do we need to do now? If she's not here, she's somewhere. And he did it twice. And the second time, as they were unloading bodies out of the ambulances, they were opening the zippers. And it was a guy, a guy, a guy, a guy. And then the last one was her. <sighs> I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It was a lot. So to come back to Nairobi, be hit with that Uber driver who had things to say, be hit by this story where now not only have we lost a friend, there's another friend who was, who's been traumatized in a way that is unimaginable because he's the one who had who was first to recognize her. And he was the one who found her. It It was a lot. And... It completely, sh I didn't know it at the time, but it completely shifted my relationship with Nairobi because I was like, I felt like it was a personal attack. I don't know. It just felt so personal. It shocked me that the world didn't stop. I, it, it shocked me to the point where I was being unreasonable because when the numbers came out about the number of people who had lost their lives, my first response wasn't sadness or anything. It was anger because I was like, I thought there'd be more. Because if it's just these people, why did it have to be her? Which I fully recognize is unreasonable. But in that stage, you know, you don't, you don't, you, you're not thinking straight. And then everything else is just like a, like a flash. I remember being at the, at Chiromo because I was a pole bearer. I remember the conversations that they had about the lipstick to put on her because they gave her the worst red before. Sanya was like, actually, me, I have lipstick. Can we just... They put her in a wedding dress because apparently she was going to marry Jesus because she was unmarried. Um, which, <laughs> again, MDL, Sun is a lifesaver. That's the first thing he told me when he saw me at Jerome. He was like, just be prepared. She is in a wedding dress. <laughs> and we cackled... <laughs> Because we just knew wherever she was, she was just looking at us like, what are you guys? You guys are laughing. They put me nowhere. You guys are just... We lost the 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 the, um, the battle to put her in uh, rap, a head rap, because that was her thing. So <laughs> we were just... We lost several battles. We won the one for the coffin. <laughs> we got it in purple, which was 
quite wonderful, actually. I will give them that. I didn't think I would like it, but it came out. I was like, oh, girl, okay, okay. To my coffee, we won the flower battle. <laughs> and so it's just, I don't think I've fully navigated the anger bit. You know, bar- bargaining definitely did. In my head, I was like, okay. So if I had a superpower, I'd just go back and text her until not go to work. So I'd be running like a th- can, I'm a filmmaker. Can you tell? I'd be running a thousand scenarios in my head of how. So if we could, and then at some point, something in my in my head, a voice in my head was like, "This is not. You don't have power here. This is not something you can negotiate your way out of. This is not. You have no leverage. A thing that has happened has happened, and I think that's what makes me even angrier because in my head." What is the point? And it's not like I'm, I'm not already battling existential <laughs> angst. <so laughs> and then the depression sank in where I gained every ounce of weight that I could find. I'm, I'm a bit manic about things like alcohol. And so I, I, luckily I didn't follow the path of kind of trying to quiet my brain in the space of depression. And I had been on antidepressants for about a year at that point which literally saved my life. But I did, I turned to food and I, I ate so unhealthily that like a year later I was diagnosed as being pre-diabetic. And I just couldn't get back on the, on the whole, just that's how my depression manifested. And it was that and work. So instead of taking a break, decided to not double down on more and more work. Um, but yeah, work was work was a good. I made some amazing work doing that. I went into residency, into a writing res, realness writing residency, which is essentially like six artists from across Africa are thrown in the middle of nowhere, the cradle of mankind, at Nairox, which is a sculpture park where there are man-made lakes and like fourteen hectares of manicured lawn. And like food made for you every day. And you're there for six weeks. They're like, yeah, write a, write a script. Show us what you, you know, expand on that script. And I was dealing with um, concepts of death. Because I'd written a year before Benedette died, I wrote uh, a screenplay about my best friend who'd lost his grandfather. And he was the only sort of paternal figure in his life. And I could see how it damn near, you know, he was crushed by it. And I couldn't understand that. When I don't understand something, I go to my to my stories. I'm like, okay, how does this manifest? What's this feeling? How can you get to this feeling? And that's how story kind of, I create worlds in that sense. I applied for this project, for this realness residency with this project about death. My friend dies that year. I get selected. I go there and they're like... You have to take this from like a personal space. When I tell you I cried every day, I'd just be like, wait, Silas is openly crying in near the massive sculpture of glass, broken glass on the... If you just skip this lake and go to... You'll see him there openly weeping. That's where you'll... Because you had to... And that was when I actually reached out to you to be like, please tell me the story of you know how, how it was when you suffered loss. And reached out to my friends who had also suffered loss because I was trying to create distance between me and the character. And at the end, my writing mentor was like, Silas, you need to collapse the space between what you're feeling and the pain you're feeling and the pain the character is feeling. Because whether you want to or not, you are intertwined in this sense. And you're going through something he's going through. And I just remember asking her, are you sure? Because... (laughs) If I don't come out of this, I was afraid. I was so scared I wouldn't come out of it. I was so scared that I'd go to those depths and not come out of it. And I'm not one to be scared by many things. If you've been on your own for such a long time, you kind of develop that defense mechanism. But as a function of being a good writer, you need those walls need to come down. So the trauma hit me at a time when I didn't have walls. Uh, and then my writing mentor hit me again, and I was just like, okay, I guess we're going down this path, and if I die, I die. Let's just, yeah. come by and by. I emerged with a story that was so deeply moving, but it took so much out of me, and I'm not sh- quite sure yet how much it's taken. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not in a position to unpack how much it's taken from me. I'm happy to, but I just feel like I'll enter a void. <laughs> I'm just like nothingness i'm like i'd rather not walk through door number one let me let me see if the door number two has better options and door number two was therapy 
so yeah therapy kind of got me out of it and now i'm in a i'm in a place where i haven't been back with the intention of staying for a really long time but it hurts less to be in nairobi i still can't be on chiroma road i'm never going and every time like a driver doesn't because i'm very particular every single in fact i have a pre-written message for all uber drivers where i'm like hey great thanks for coming to i'm here 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 please note nowhere near chiroma we're driving nowhere near and every time I, I, like one doesn't listen to me it's like oh this is the sh- shortest i'm like you will i will be crying in front are you okay with me just openly we and it hits me i'm so used to it at this point like it is so weird to just be walking down a road and then suddenly crying i'm just like this is it this is what's happening i've i've owned it it will people tell me that you know they've been in in these situations where they're navigating grief and it's been decades and they still get stung so i'm trying to make the most of <laughs> the emotional labor that has to go into existing in a world that benedict doesn't live in and i'm i'm not saying that i'm okay with death comes to all of us and it it comes in in many forms but i just think it was so brutal how she went and i've began reconnecting with an ancestral tether i had an ancestral read- reading recently where my life was just being given to me through the bones um which i recommend every african to do i had a sangoma from south africa i bumped into a friend of mine in well i didn't bump into her we had plans to do cocktails in amsterdam and then i was like you're doing so well what's happening in your life and she's like i had an ancestral reading from a queer sangoma in south africa i said pause time out circle back unpack this for me as it's like um a medium so a medium someone who has a direct tether to the um, to the spiritual realm or whatever it is so out of curiosity and interest and intrigue i was like send me a number she sent me a number i organized a consultation i paid for it it was a bit too affordable even me i had questions i was like are you sure you don't want more and then we picked a a day when we would have it so i i messaged him on on like a friday he got back to me on like a saturday we agreed for a monday call because i was still in in amsterdam and then he tells me half an hour before the session text me there's some information that i need from you uh, and then i forgot because of the time difference between us and so i forgot so i woke up 10 minutes before my session so i was like well well it's i've ruined it it's done it's over so i texted him being very apologetic i'm like no i'm sorry and he's like it's fine i was expecting you relax and he asked for a recent picture my mother's surname and my father's surname please note i do not share a surname with either of these people and then he called and i cried for an hour straight because he was just speaking things from my life he even spoke about benedet fully <laughs> it it's nuts it's it's it was insane i recommend that every african find a tether back to an ancestral relationship it has it changed how i look at stuff so dramatically because it for the first time in a long time i felt like i have people and they're chilling just looking at you like connect just we're here just connect and i'm just like no i'm going to be independent and sijui no friend that literally there he was explaining stuff to me he's like his definition of god and how god for him is the f- feelings that you have and emotions and and interactions but apparently ancestors work in coincidences so have you ever met someone and you you've known this person all your life but this is the first time you've met apparently that's how ancestry works where they put you in contact with people who you've either had a past interaction with in a past life or who you know are leading into the thing that you want if you ask i'm renegotiating what it means to exist as an african in your home especially if you're in a in a situation where you've had to rethink what home means for you and home means something completely different for me home is where i make it and i had gotten so angry with nairobi i was like well you don't mean to, you don't want you know to be my home i'm going to find another home elsewhere and i ran around the world looking for another home and then i came back as like actually no i don't have to accept terrible terms for it, it to be my home and i do have a claim here and no one is going to kind of reject that claim on on my behalf and i will decide what that home looks like for myself there's a there's a new relationship i'm having with benedet i recently had a test me i'm convinced she was there sitting we cackled you we were just chatting you were like 
which will sound very woo-woo, but me, I'm okay with that. Because, yeah, and it happened, for the first time it happened, I was in Cape Town, I had gone into the mountains, because I was living my best Caucasian life and I was hiking. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> all the gear, all the height, TM, all the heightness. Um, I was deep in the waters, um, and, and I was hiking with a friend of mine who had weirdly lost his hiking uh, partner. He'd lost his hiking buddy. Just rather, and this was the first time he was going back to that spot. So they have like a, a spot where they do a ritual around water. And so he was having his moment, and I just felt this sort of energy around me. And I was like, oh, homegirl, you out here. Okay, let's discuss. I explained the wedding dress, I apologized. <laughs> Those were not. I wasn't here. I was like me. I was not taking responsibility. Me, I wasn't here. Me, I came late. Please, nearly quite Cape Town, and we just had an interest. And I was again crying the entire time. But it felt like she was there, and I fully believe that she's around and she's kind of keeping an eye out, an eye on me and an eye out for me. And I choose to keep on talking about her um, because she was bigger than just this one moment. Um, but even in this moment, she was her best self and she saved lives like she was supposed to, which is nonsense. But like she, this is who she was. And I think this is me circling back to acceptance. I needed to be in Nairobi for that to happen. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. Wasn't that such a powerful story? And even just how real he is with his grief. I specifically identified with the point in which he said he was angry at Bernadette. Sometimes I I forgot about that in my my own, you know, battle i don't want to call it a journey with grief because it's it surely is a battle <laughs> but in my battle with grief there were points and they still are points that i i get angry at my mom as irrational as it may be those points are there so when he said that i was like oh my god i totally identify with that i was so intrigued by his um, mentioning of communicating with his ancestors through a medium, a.k.a. a sangoma. And I realized I was very ignorant about what exactly a sangoma is. So I went out and I read and read and read about it. And of course, asked Silas for his sangoma's details. So I am working up my courage to actually engage with this sangoma and see how that goes. And of course, I'll tell you... <laughs> how 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 it goes for me but remember you can join the legally clueless tribe on instagram just search at legally clueless podcast and you too can share your story on this podcast all you have to do is send a one minute whatsapp audio note demo you know just telling me what story you want to share and then after that i will make some story prompts specifically for you and then we'll set up a day when we can record your story remotely of course so check out the description box you will find the legally clueless hotline number where you will send via whatsapp your one minute demo and that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode. 